Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. If you brought a Bible with you, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read from Luke 18 some, actually we're going to use uh, the first few verses and then verse 8, but we're going to kind of use this and I just want to speak to this because Again, this goes to the, the question um, that Jesus is going to ask here that I'm going to wrap into this, this, this morning and what Brenda went through. It says, now Jesus was telling the disciples a parable. A parable, you know, is a story where he t- tells a story within a story. He's telling about uh, something in order to reveal a spiritual truth. And so parables were how Jesus did most of his teaching. He, uh, he taught in parables and he asked lots of questions. And so Jesus was telling his disciples a parable to make the point that at all times they ought to pray and not give up and lose heart. Now see, when, when he tells this story, he's giving you right here in this the purpose of why he was telling it and why you really need to take note of this because he's giving you kind of a prophetic warning uh, in that he's saying that if, you're, if there's going to be an area you're going to be tested in, it's going to be right here that you need to keep praying and not give up and lose heart. Why? Because one of life's greatest challenges is to keep praying in the face of opposition, to keep praying in the face of loss, to keep praying when you're in the midst of something very hard. What is it we typically do in the midst of a, of a, of a severe test is we give up. I mean, I'm here today, I'm here today to encourage you not to give up. Brenda said it. Did you hear what she said? Storms are going to come. This whole notion that, you know, that if you serve Jesus, your life is going to be a dream and you're not going to ever have any trouble is not true. It's not the gospel. You know, I heard a preacher preach one time and I was in, I was doing some prison ministry and we were, we were in a team and and he got up and he made the statement. He said, give, give Jesus your life and all your problems are over. I pulled him aside later and I said, can I just talk to you about the message that, you're, that you preached this, this morning? And he goes, what, what? He was a young guy. And I said, I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to tell you that you're setting men up for failure. Because you're telling them if they give G- you give Jesus your life, all your problems are over. That is not true. What then do you tell that guy when he stands before the judge and, and his modification is denied? And, and, and while he's in jail or in prison, he gets served papers from his wife because the divorce rate in prison is over 80%. And, and you just told him if he gives his life to Jesus, all of his problems are over. That's the wrong message. 
The message is give your life to Jesus and let him walk you through life because you're going to need Jesus to get through your problems. I don't know why we come at it. We, we do this often, you know, and, and, and what we're doing is we're setting people up for failure. And I want to set you up for success. I want you to know you are going to go through the storm. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your son. Not, not everybody does, and, and not everybody walks through that, and, and, but you are going to walk through s- some losses. You're going to get your hopes dashed in some things, or, or you're going to go through some relationship challenges, and you're going to go through some things. That's all Jesus said in the world. You're going to have trouble. See, I know this doesn't... This doesn't like make people want to shout, but, it's, but it's, it's what you need to hear today. And so he says, men ought always to pray. This is how it, it says, men ought to pray and not give up and lose heart. Because see, you see how it's tied together? And he said, now here's what he says. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and had no respect for man. So in other words, this is called the parable of the unjust judge. The parable of the unjust judge. Now the reason that he's an unjust judge is because he had no respect. He did not walk in honor. So he was, let's just call it like it was, he's a judge on the take. He was probably a judge that you could pay off. If you had money, you could, you could get the verdict that you wanted from him. If you had influence, you could get what you want if you got him what he wanted. You see, that's, that's an unjust judge. So based on, based on his, uh, your ability to pay or your ability to do something for him, you could get justice. And that's why he's an unjust judge. Now, it says, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God, had no respect for man, And there was a desperate widow. Now, why does he use a widow here? Because a widow has no money. She's been left destitute. It's desperate. Notice it says desperate. This widow is left desperate. She has no influence that she can give your way. She she has nothing really. That's why he uses the the picture of a widow. Because what is a widow going to do for you? And why, what, why does God use widows? Notice the Bible uses widows a lot. It was the widow of Zarephath that sustained Elijah in his day. This widow represents the church. It represents that in, in, in the reality of things that, that the church doesn't have the, 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 the notoriety, the influence, the resources that the world does. If you want to know something, where do you go? You don't go to church. Today you Google it. Hey, thanks, Google. I mean, so the church is like this widow. It has no influence, nothing, but listen to this widow. This widow that was in that city, she kept coming to him. She kept coming to him. Here's an unjust judge that she just keeps coming to. She keeps coming to. She, Jesus is making a point here. What is the point here? 
that even though he was unjust, even though she knew she had no money to buy it, she had no influence to trade for it, she just kept coming. She just kept coming. She just kept coming. This is the church in its continual coming to God. I, I, I feel like this in my heart, that I don't, have, I don't have a platform from which to make a huge a dent in, in, the, in the culture, even in the country. But I do know who God is, and I keep coming to the throne of God like that widow. I keep coming. I keep coming. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep crying out for justice in our land. I'm going to keep crying out for revival. I'm going to keep crying out to avenge us of our adversary. Notice what he says. He says, and that widow, she kept coming to him and said, give me justice and legal protection from my adversary. Give me protection from my adversary. So something, someone was coming against her. Maybe he was trying to take her house. Maybe take what little bit she had. Maybe it was a, a, a debtor that she owed money to. Who knows? Maybe her husband left her a debt, left her a piece of ground that hadn't been paid for. And her adversary was coming. And, and she, having nothing, was asking for the judge for legal protection. Now I want you to I want you to I want you to write down a few things uh, here that that we're going to do and I'm going to keep this relatively uh, to the right to the point today. So 2000 years ago a decree was issued from the highest court of heaven. 2000 years ago It provided legal protection for the church against the devil. 2,000 years ago, there was a handwriting of ordinances against us, the Bible says. And it says, uh, in fact, if you would, I want you to see it with me. I want you to go to Colossians. Go to Colossians, the second chapter. I'm going to read this to you out of the, uh, this is an amplified Bible. And... um, And in Colossians 2, uh, let's see, let's read beginning with verse 12. It says, thus you were circumcised when you were buried with him in your baptism. Now he's talking about when in, in their baptism, their Bible talks of three different baptisms. It talks about a baptism into Christ. That's how you get born again is actually the Holy Spirit baptizes or immerses you into Jesus, and that's how you come into the kingdom of God. And then, as a result of that that baptism, when you're immersed into Jesus, then there's a water baptism where someone takes you and immerses you into water. That's how we do it around here. We immerse. In fact, we're going to do a little baptism after church today. We baptized like half a dozen people last week, hallelujah. It was such a blast. And someone wants to get baptized, and I'm like, well, let's just do it. And so if you want to get baptized today, after, right after church, we're heading over back over to Amy's. I love their pool so much. I need any excuse to get in it. And, uh, but we're, we're going to baptize. And see, what that represents is I will take 
uh, Scott today who's going to be baptized. He, he told me, he said, I, I feel like I need to do my first works over again. And I said, let's do it. You know, let's just, let's get, you know, Revelation chapter 2, it says, repent and do your first works over again. I know people get all kind of weird about all this. Some of you have been baptized as babies. You know, and maybe you got sprinkled and maybe, you know, you went through all this religious stuff. But baptism is for believers and baptism is for those who have been immersed into Jesus. And, and if you haven't been immersed into Jesus, getting dipped in water will only get you wet. I don't mind getting people wet, but, I, but really, baptism is the answer that, of the testimony of my life is hid in Christ and God. And I, I've I got to tell you something. You, you need to get immersed into Jesus, and then when you get baptized in water, you come out shouting because you represent and realize that this thing is a realization of something real in my heart and life. I didn't do this for some religious exercise. In fact, I'm not up here today for some religious exercise. You can have religious exercise, uh, although I need more all the exercise I can get, but I'm not here for a religious exercise. I'm, I'm walking Every day. Did you know yesterday I weighed and I've lost 11 pounds so far? From where I started, yeah. Only, eight, only 80 more, 89 more to go. Yeah, stay with me. Stay tuned. But we're not going to do it through religious exercise. I'm not here for religious exercise. I'm here, I'm here to express what's in my heart and what's real to me. And so I'm going to take Scott and I'm going to immerse him in the water, and the water represents the grave, and when we put him down in, when he comes out, it represents Scott has been resurrected. Scott's been around church for a long time, but Jesus has done something in Scott's life. I mean, he has come alive, and, and God has took him down a mighty long road, and all of a sudden, he's on fire for God, and you see, that's what this is all about, because the church, it's time for the church to rise up and take its place, because many of the church, a lot of the church has lost heart, a lot of the church has quit doing the things that you used to do. You used to do a lot of things and you stopped and God's saying, come on church, get back up, get back in the fight, get back in the game, get back in this thing. So anyway, where was I? We're going to bring him down in the watery grave and we're going to bring him up out in, in resurrection life that represents his new life in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Listen, if the old things haven't passed away, you're just not in Christ. If you get in Christ, all that old junk will go. And the Holy Spirit will get to you. He will be all over you. And so, when Jesus died for our sins, the ruler of this world was judged. Now, let me read this. Let me go back here. This is where I was. Y'all help me. I'm, I know where I'm at. No, I don't. I don't have a clue. Verse 12, Colossians 2. Thus you were circumcised when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him to a new life, through your faith in the working of God. Your faith in the working of God. What is the working of God? How that he's bringing you into new life. 
Man, I got, I got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the blind to uh, the lame to walk and the blind to see. <laughs> Glory to God. No, Jesus, help me. I didn't get much sleep last night. So y'all bear with me. If I stumble my words, it's, I don't know. But I'm blessed, man. I'm just, how do you sleep when God's just rolling over in you like a, like a steamroller? And I'm like, oh, glory to God. And so it says, it says this, he says, through the working of God as displayed when he raised him up from the dead. God put Jesus on display, and when he died for our sins, the ruler of this world was judged. Listen to what it says. And you who were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, your sensuality, your sinful carnal nature, God brought to life together with Christ, having, having freely forgiven us of all our transgressions. Now listen to this. Having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the, of the note the bond with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, hostile to us. So think about this. He's not talking, now he's not talking about in the relational area, you know, like a, the, the sons and the daughters of God. Now he's talking in the courts. And in the court of heaven, because of sin and transgression and because of, because of our disobedience and because of Adam's rebellion, there was a handwriting, there was a legal decree, and, and, and there, was a, there, was a, uh, there was an indictment, is what you, you would call it, against us. And in this indictment, it, it carried with it all our guilt and all our stain and all our sin and all our shame. Are you with me this morning? But when Jesus went to the cross... Remember, Paul talks about this handwriting. He's, he's giving the picture. Remember when Jesus was crucified, they nailed the charges that were against him over the top of his head, and on there was the charge. That was what the, that's what the Romans did. The charges which were against him, they charged him, found him guilty, and crucified him as a sinner. But we know that Jesus had never sinned, that he had never, he had never broken any of God's laws, that he was the pure, perfect lamb of God, and he had never done anything to merit that kind of treatment. But what he did is he took our charges, he took the indictment that was against me and against you, he took your sin, he took my sin, he took the charges that were against me, even though it said guilty and there was no debating it, there was no need for a trial, I know I was guilty, and it says he took those handwritings, he took those charges, and he did away with them. So it says, having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note with its legal decrees, demands, which was in force and stood against us. And so in, in his dying for us, Satan was judged. Our debts were nailed to the cross and canceled. And then principalities and powers were disarmed. Now look, look at what it says here. It says, verse 15, 
It says, he set aside and cleared completely out of our way by nailing it to his cross. Verse 15, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it, the cross. You hear what he's saying? All these rulers and principalities and powers, Jesus disarmed them. He disarmed them. And so when Jesus died, he took, he took all of the principalities and powers and he disarmed them. And, and I, I, I guess I, I should read this. Yeah, let's go to John 16. I put it up there. It's, it, it's so powerful. John 16. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. In this passage of John 16, he's talking about how Jesus dealt with sin, with righteousness, and, and judgment. And it says in verse 11, John 16, 11, about judgment, because the ruler, the evil genius, the prince of this world is judged and condemned and sentenced already is passed upon him. So God has passed a sentence on Satan. Do you see what it's saying? So he passed a legal decree, and it was his, his victory over Satan was complete, decisive. And it's so powerful that even cities can be protected about. You read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, that the, that the church in Revelation chapter 3 stands as a protection over an entire city because of what God is doing in their lives. Now, I, I know that the church hasn't walked in this very well or even fully for a long time. I mean, I'm not being negative. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I, uh, you know, w w we have a hard time with this whole idea of, of, of what Paul's writing about. Now, let's come back here. There was a desperate widow in that city. She kept coming to him saying, give me justice and legal protection. You see what she's asking for? She's, she's saying, I know what's mine, but I'm not living, I'm not walking in it. Someone's trying to take it and said, I need you to offer me some protection. I need you. And Jesus is using that as a way to say in church, this has got to be your position. Like a widow woman, you got to keep coming. You got to keep coming. You got to keep coming because the enemy is trying to take you from your, from what's rightfully lawfully yours. Do you see it? <laughs> so, let's go on. Christ's death, then, is the platform for all the warfare that's going to take place in the realm of our lives. Because I want, I want you to write this down, and this is so important that you understand this, because otherwise people get really weird about this. You do not fight for the victory. Christ won that victory for you. What we're doing today is we're fighting from his victory to take possession of, you remember what I preached last week, to possess, we're going to have to take possession what's already been paid for, but we don't, we're not walking in all of it yet. We're not walking in, 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 in everything that God has for us, but we should be leaning into it. Do you see what I'm saying? 
The church has got to quit playing around. I mean, we've got to, and we've got to quit playing too with spiritual warfare because it can get weird. No, I'm just serious. I mean, you know, it can get really weird and we start, we, we, can, we actually can get all twisted up in, in how we come at us like we're fighting for the victory. But we're not fighting for the victory, we're fighting from the victory. You know, you pray different when you pray from the victory. Well, you're going to have to like meditate on that, I guess. So here, here's where I wanted to get to you. To attain the protection of Christ, we must embrace the intercession of Christ. How many of you want God's protection? How many of you know without God's protection, we're in trouble? Without his legal protection, we're in trouble. Now, here's the thing. In order to get God's protection, we've got to enter into his intercession. This is why he says the, the widow has to, has to keep coming, keep coming. We must become the house of prayer. We, we can't just be a church that prays. We have to be a prayer. Our life has to represent prayer but it's not just something we do, it's something we are. And praying these foxhole kind of prayers is, is a very dangerous way to live your life. Because you, if, you, if all you're doing is praying to get out of danger, you're always going to come up short of where God's trying to take you. God's not just trying to get us out of danger. He's trying to get us into his promise. You say, well, Pastor Mike, what happens when I'm in trouble? Shouldn't I be praying when I'm in trouble? No, yes, but you should be praying day and night, night and day. Uh-huh. Let me go quickly here. So here's the question. One tough question Jesus asks. Will not our God defend and avenge his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will not our just God defend and avenge his elect? So like if an unjust judge, so you, you know, if you read the parable, what it says is the judge, the unjust judge says, I'm going to give this woman what she wants, lest by her continually coming, she just wears me out. And then Jesus says, so how much more will your heavenly father who is just, so you got an unjust judge that gave this woman what she wanted just to get rid of her. How much more with a just father who loves you, how much more will he come to you as you cry out to him day and night? Will, will he delay in providing justice on their behalf? That's a, quest, that's a tough question too. Will he delay? Come on, how many of you have ever been delayed in God answering your prayers? Doesn't delay stink? But, but what happens in delay? You get refined, you, get, you learn perseverance. 
Think about this word, persevere, severe, severe trials. When severe trials come, when this severe test comes, that's when you find out what you're really made of. And the way that you build perseverance is by getting through and staying consistent through all the challenges and difficulty. Romans chapter 5 says that we, we build character by, by going through the trials and the tests and everything works patience and patience when it's finished brings forth character. So it's in the delay that God is building us and, and shaping us and refining our faith. I want to tell you something here this morning. Just because you're in a delay does not mean that God is not on your side or that he is not on the move. That when God delays, it says he will come suddenly. He will avenge avenge them quickly that what he's saying there is it doesn't you don't pray this afternoon and tonight he moves you pray day night day night day night and when God moves he does it quickly so a lot of people listen listen to this write write this down you need to write this down delay is not denial Delay is not denial. God will avenge them, and he will avenge them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of persistent faith on the earth? All right, I got a few minutes. I, I want to close with this because this is important. Because naturally, I've come here, and you say, well, avenge, if, what, doesn't avenge them mean I get what I want? How many of you have ever prayed for something and you did not get what you wanted? Brenda will tell you, Joy was 39. That's young. Do you know that's young? And it looks like, well, how does that work? I mean, how does that, how does that work? Because what I've noticed is that there's a lot of people who, a lot of, a lot of people in, ch in the church world, because they, because, they have, because they have struggled in this area, they're really, they're, they're mad at God. Because they don't feel like God avenged them, nor did he do it quickly enough. Because they were taught that such that their faith was going to get them what they wanted. But I'm here to tell you this morning, and listen to me carefully, faith is not how you get what you want from God. Faith is how God gets you through anything and everything and stay connected to him no matter how difficult it is and how you stay with him no matter how challenging it is. Faith is the ability for you to hold on to God even when you do not understand what is happening, even when it does not work out the way you think it does and you don't develop some twisted theology because I want to tell you something. We're living in a world that is ultimately going to come to a place where Jesus has his way. But that's not happened at this moment. And so what, what I want to tell you is that we have developed a theology 
and tried to tell people, you know, that God, well, God is in control. God is in control. I want to submit to you this morning that God is not in control. Think about this. If God was in control, then everything would be traced back to him. Every rape, every murder, every suicide, every overdose, every sickness. If God was in control, it would all be placed on his shoulders. But let me, now let me tell you something. God is in charge, but he is not in control. And I know y'all are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Listen to me. If God was in control, why did Jesus say, when you pray, pray like this, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on as it is God is in control of heaven. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of things on earth that God, God because God has created man. You, are you going to blame God for Hitler, the Holocaust? You're going to blame God for, look, we've even, we've even called these acts that take, you know, we say, oh, a hurricane moved through and killed 400 people. And you know what we call it? An act of so you see, we've turned it and made God the bad guy. We, we say things like, 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 listen to me, I'm talking to you from somebody, just in case you, there may be some of you here that need to know this too. My wife and I lost a son too. My wife and I buried a son when he was three years old. And he died of leukemia. I do not say things like God took him. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I come again, I will receive you. Thank God Jesus will receive us. But God doesn't take people with cancer and ravaging diseases and, and disasters. That's not how God operates. God is good, and God is always good. But we live in the reality of a fallen and broken world. And we need to take the position of the widow where we're crying day and night because I want to tell you something. It is not God's will for the world to be subject to all the death and destruction. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. See, I know I'm bucking up against some people, you know, for, because your theology has been, you know, that, that, that God... God did it. But see, if you take that approach, then that's why you get mad at God. God, if you, you could have you stopped this. But see, if God is God and God is who he said he is and God created man for what he is and gave man the ability to make his choices, then, then we have to realize the fact that men make some bad choices. That we live in a fallen world. And I don't know how, you know, how there's shallowness of much of our theology has been, you know, like, well, you know, like we've developed a way to try to explain it. But what we did is we made God the thief. God took my son. 
No. Are you with me this morning? I'm not going to blame God for taking my son. That's a result that we live in a fallen, broken world. You know what C.S. Lewis said? Think about this as, a, as God, has, God has set the world in motion. He's given man the ability to choose. And, and, and he called God like the, the playwright. God has written a script. God has written a script and given us his will and given us his way. But let me ask you the, the question. How many times does God really have his way? How many times in your life does God really have his way? We kick against it. We fight against it. We resist it. We rebel against it. And then when the consequences come, we go, why God? We live in a broken, fallen world. God is the great playwright. playwright. And then we say, well, God, why didn't you write the script different when we have set things in motion? And and we say, you know what? Here's what C.S. Lewis said. The playwright walks out on the stage only after the play is ended. Think about it. We're all going to stand before God. And when, when Jesus comes back, he comes back and he is going to put the devil in his place. Read it. Read it. We're in the, I believe we're in the generation that is seeing the culmination of all the things that are happening. We, we have built ourselves a culture in America where we think we're exempt from severe trials and severe tests. I want to tell you something. You need to get ready because God says that in the last days that there's going to be testing. There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be a falling away even. And so my intent and my purpose is to be like this widow who's coming to a just God and crying day and night and night and day. I'm not here to play church with a bunch of stiff people. I'm here to find the desperate ones, the hungry ones, the ones who believe God, who have faith in a God who can make a difference, a God who can step into my life and he can make the devil run. Many people are toying with Satan. You're toying with sin. You're toying, and you know what you're doing. And then when something unfolds, you're the first one to blame God for it. Here, let me ask you this final question. I tell you that when he defends and avenges them quickly, however, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find this kind of persistent persistent faith on the earth? You see what's what's going on? Our faith is being tested, isn't it? Our faith's being tested. My question is, do you have the kind of persistent faith that can persevere, persevere, persevere? Yeah, there's, God was trying to help us with that. <laughs> Things are going to get pretty severe. Can you purse it? Can you stay with it? Can you stay with it? See, the devil's tried to come against some of y'all, and he's tried to make y'all mad. 
Some of y'all are angry at God. Some of you are mad at God because you bought into that whole thing. Well, if God's in control, why did that happen? And I'm here to tell you God is in charge, but he's not in control. Pastor Mike, that just sounds so foreign to me because that's not how I've understood it. But, but think about it. Think about it. Jesus said, if, 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 when you pray, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would he tell you to pray that if it didn't have to be enforced on earth? You know what we do? We set ourselves up for failure too because... Here's what some people do. They go, well, you know, if God doesn't do this, that's it. I'm just done. Really? That's not faith. If God doesn't do this, if God doesn't do what you want him to, you're done? Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistent faith on the earth? Listen, I don't have answers for Brenda. I don't even have answers for myself. I don't really, I, I, stopped, I stopped asking those questions when I realized the enemy was trying to undermine my faith. Here's what I do know. God is good. All the time. God is good. That's all I can stand on. And some of you are struggling, some of you are facing, some of you have been through some things. Don't make God the one who, don't make God the, the scapegoat. Jesus, Jesus did what he did to bring the church into alignment. And here's what the church is called to do today. To get into alignment with God, get in faith, and watch God do something in the earth today. Because ultimately the church is gonna the church is gonna leave this the leave this earth too. But not until Jesus has shown up and established the kingdom of God in fullness. And so I don't know. I need you to bow your heads. I need to I need to I need to pray. It's really hard in a few minutes to to establish everything and if you have questions I understand I do too if you if you have your theology rocked you know like listen I know God I know that God is sovereign but I also know God is not the scapegoat for everything that's going on It's the thief that comes to rob, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. My heart breaks at every loss, at every, every, every thing that the enemy tries to work to undermine God's power and God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And my question to you today is, when the Son of Man comes, is he going to find faith in you? 
Or is your faith in faith? Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Father, I ask you to look into our hearts today. I ask you, God, to examine our hearts today that we're in the faith. That we're in the faith. God, much of our believing and our things, our theology that we've developed makes you, God, to be a thief, that you took something from us. And I'm mad about it. Lord, you are so gracious and so kind that you receive us, but you don't take us. You receive us unto yourself. Father, I pray for uh, hearts that are angry this morning. I pray for hearts that are struggling because they just can't seem to, to balance out a loss. Why didn't God? What if? Could he? Would he? Should he? And we come to all of these different questions and our faith is rocked and, and, and Lord, teach us simply to trust and believe. Because I know, God, that you're in charge. But the thief, the thief comes. So with your heads bowed, I, I, I know today this is, wow. I know this is challenging. But I have met so many people that are so angry with God. Much of it is passive-aggressive anger, too. You don't, you don't really shake your fist at God, but your anger's there nonetheless. Disappointment rules your life. All you think about is what you lost, the suffering of the loss, and, and no doubt there's a loss involved. I'm not, and I'm not making light of your loss. I would never do that. I would never, ever do that. But you see, I'm trying to dislodge you from the loss to see the gain in Christ, to, to go toward him and keep leaning into him because that, there is a day coming when all of it's going to be dealt with. And here's what, I, here's what I want you to hear today. Peter said it like this, be sober, be vigilant, because the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If that wasn't for real, he would not have said it. it it's, not a, it's not an imaginary battle. It's not... Is, is another, another the word picture. The devil's walking about. He's stalking, seeking whom he may devour. Many people are devoured in this area right here when it comes to suffering loss because their faith has no way to accommodate how to process what happened. So, Father, I just ask you today to open hearts and open lives to the grace and to the power of your cross, that you dealt with principalities and powers. And yet, Lord, it's a very much a reality that we're going to walk through a life that we're going to have to pray day and night. We're going to have to keep praying and not lose heart and not give up. 
And I pray for that fainting heart today. I pray for that discouraged heart. I pray for that heart that has dropped their hands and given up hope. She'll speak to them today. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.